Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 5 tonight. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 17. So if you have your Bible, you can open it. If not, get the attention of one of the ushers and they'll leave a Bible with you so that you can follow along with us in our study as we go. And I am tonight going to open in prayer because I'm not going to read a whole chunk first. So let's uh, just go before God. And so, Father, we just come to you tonight again. We know, Lord, that you're here. It is our desire to be in your presence, Lord, and to uh, just to be in your kingdom. We thank you that you've made room for us in your Father's house. We thank you that uh, for those that believe in your Son, Jesus, our names are written in heaven. And Lord, we just pray that you would go out before us now, that you would take the words of, of this section of Scripture, that you take the things that you've put in my heart to share, and I pray that they would be a benefit to our life in knowing you and in walking with you, Lord. So I pray that, that this word would find its mark in every heart here and that you would be with us and among us, Lord. So we thank you for your presence, and we just give you place, Lord, by your spirit to speak to us tonight. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So we left David, and we're following the life of David as we go through First and Second Samuel. And we left David at kind of a, a high point, and in a way, kind of a low point, uh, at all at the same time. And, and the low point was that he is now, uh, as king, he is continuing to multiply wives. He uh, started this, uh, we'll call it a habit, uh, seven years previously when he was anointed king over the one tribe of Judah. And now that he is king over the entire nation uh, and secured in his place in Jerusalem, he feels a little bit free. He feels maybe a little bit entitled. Uh, He feels a a little bit um, enabled. And he multiplies more wives. And it's kind of a low note for David because of what it's going to do to him in the long term. Um, And and that's one of the dangers that can happen to someone when they get into a, a position where they answer to no human person is that you can begin to think that the same rules don't apply to you or the same consequences won't befall you, that because you're in a particular position, uh, that this, this uh, behavior that, that I know is wrong, because the Bible says it's wrong, isn't going to affect me the same way or I'll be able to dodge the effects of it. And so David kind of blows through this roadblock and it's going to cause him some major problems later on. Um, but it's also a high note for David. And, and the reason it's a high note is because of what it says back in verse 12 uh, of the chapter. And you'll see it. It's going to go up on the screen. But in chapter 5, verse 12, it says that David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. You can leave the verse up there for a minute. But it says that the Lord established him. And, and really, it's a high note just for that very thing. And, and that's kind of what we're calling, I've called uh, the, the, the series of messages in 2 Samuel is established. Because everything in David's life up to this time has been leading to this point where he is now established in his purpose. And, and that is a high note for David, is that he is set in that place now that God called him to be. And it reminds me of a promise that's given in the New Testament. It's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And it's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Because Peter writes a letter, and it's all about suffering. And about the various different ways that we suffer. He talks about persecution. He talks about marriage. He talks about all the different things that cause pain in our lives. And not that marriage, you know, is bad. But you understand, like, it can be a difficult thing. And, And then he comes to this point where he says that after you have suffered a while, 
uh, he says that the God of all grace, who's called us into his eternal glory, it says that he will make you perfect. That means complete. And then it says he'll establish, strengthen, and settle you. And I love that verse because it, it is a promise from God that if we persevere through the difficulty of the training that God is putting us through, that we all will come to the place where we are established, where we're set in the place that God has called us to. And that's a, a high point for David because it, it's, a, it's a point of victory. He's made it. He's made it through the trials. He's made it through the education. He's made it through the sufferings. His faith has been tested. And it's not done being tested, but he's made it to a place where he's in the promise of God. He's walking in what God called him to be and what God called him to do, and he's established in it. And that's a victory for David, and it gives hope to you and I. The question that it raises always is why does it have to take so long? Because we've been following David, and it's been years. It's been the better part of a decade, maybe more than that, uh, since the very beginning of God working in his life. So why is it that it takes so long? And sometimes it can almost feel like maybe it's just like a rite of passage thing. That God's just like, well, you're going to pay your dues and you have to go through this. And it doesn't really mean anything, but everybody does it. And so it's like school, just go through it and you'll get there. That's not the idea. It can feel like that, but that's not the idea. See, God, and we've talked about this a lot, so we won't beat it to death. But God is seeking to build something in us so that once we're established in the place, we don't shipwreck there. And it's not hijacked, and we don't ruin the life that God has created. And so David, being established now, we know that he has learned the things that God has, has put in him. And here, here's what it is. If you were to boil all of that preparation and all of that education down to one thing that David needed to learn, and he needed to learn it not in his head, because you can learn it in your head in one Bible study. But he needed to learn it in his heart, and that takes years to do. But it's right there in that verse, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12. Listen to it. It says that he perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel. Watch this. And that he had exalted his kingdom, David's kingdom, for his people, God's people, Israel's sake. Okay? Which means that what David learned, what David realized, is that all of this, this entire journey... And all of what's to come, it's not about me. This has nothing to do with me. I get to do this, and I get to be in this position, but this is all God, and it's all for God. And it has very little, if anything, to do with me. David perceived that. This is not about me. And if there's one thing that is going to cause us to, first of all, be established, and second of all, to walk in stability continually, it's to learn that lesson in our hearts that it's not about me. That whatever God does for me, it's not about me. None of it is about me. And so because David learned that lesson and because David perceived that it was all about God, David made a decision. His perception, okay, led to in his heart, it led to a, a, a proclamation or a position that he was going to put God first. He says it in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. This was the mission statement of David's actions. He says this. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've put him first. That's what that means. I put him first 
because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. David recognized that the key to my longevity in this thing and a fruitful life is that I put God first. And that's really the title of the message tonight is put God first. And it's what we see David doing and it, we see what God's showing in this segment of scripture is that it's all about putting God first. And so David puts God first and watch how it manifests itself. Our first verse is chapter 5, verse 17. It's the first scene of action now that David is the anointed king over Israel. He has taken Jerusalem and now here's what happens. It says here, it says, but when the Philistines, that is the sworn enemy of Israel, the strongest enemy of Israel at this time in their history, heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines came up to seek David, and David heard of it and went down to the hold. Okay, now we're going to find out in about four seconds that they did not come to seek David because they thought they would, you know, this was going to be a good thing. They want to eliminate David. That is their motive, and that is their drive. And the first thing that we see of David right here is that he put God first and that he put God in front of or before his own wisdom. Do you see what David did when he saw that the Philistines had gathered themselves in mass around Jerusalem? He, it says that he didn't move forward he didn't react to the situation and move swiftly, but rather he moved backwards, and it says that he went down into the hold. And the idea is the stronghold. It's the same stronghold that David retreated to when he was fleeing from Saul. It was a safe place. It was a place of refuge. And what we see in David here is that he has learned that part of putting God first is to not react to a problem, but to pause so that you can properly respond to a problem according to the leading of the Lord. And that's what David does here, all right? He puts God first. And I ask you this question, what do you do when you're faced with a problem, especially a problem that is one that you personally are expected to solve, that it's on you. You're the solver of that problem. Or a problem that if it goes unfaced or unchecked, it makes things worse so you know that something has to be done. Or it's a problem maybe that you know how to solve. You know, those are the best kind of problems, right? The ones that you just immediately, you just know what the fix is, you know what the solution is. You know, kind of things like you find out that your kids, one of your kids, maybe has a secret identity or they've started hanging around with a group of people that you don't approve of and that you know it's not going to be a good thing. That's a problem. And you, have, you feel as the parent of that child that you've got to do something about it. You're the one that can solve that problem. If that problem persists, it's going to become an even bigger problem. It's not going to be pretty, right? And sometimes, even as parents, we think, I know exactly how to solve that problem. I've got a hammer, bring me your phone, you know, and we think that we can solve it that way. Uh, or another problem, maybe you, you know, you, you're going through your things, and you realize there's some money missing, maybe in your house or maybe from your account. That's a problem. And if you've ever experienced that, you know what that feels like. And all of a sudden, your mind just starts racing. It just takes off. Your mind reacts. Where did it go? Who took it? What happened? You know, it's a problem. What do you do? That's your problem. You got to fix it. You got to deal with it. All right. Uh, you, how about how about this one? How about 
someone is spreading lies about you where you work or in a circle of, of community that's important to you. That's a problem. You know, what, that hits the pride of, of our life. You know, someone saying something about me is, is it true? Where did they saying? Where did it come from? Who did they talk to? That's a problem. You know, if I let that problem go, it's going to get worse. You know, I want to solve that problem. And what do you do when you're faced with a problem? And we all face problems. Unfortunately for me, my tendency is to react, that I want to be swift, that I want to move. I want to do something about it and get on it. I don't want to waste a second. But David has learned that part of putting God first in his life is that even though he's the king, and even though this problem is his problem, and even though this problem could make things worse if it isn't dealt with, and even though this problem, David knows how to solve it. He doesn't jump. He goes to the hold. And what does he do there? Notice in verse 18. It says that the Philistines also came and they spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said unto David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Okay, now I love this because David at this point in his life and in his ministry, if you would, or his uh, kingship, David is no longer a fugitive running from Saul. He's no longer a band of men that are unarmed and, and, and kind of have the low ground. He's the anointed king. He has control of the entire nation, the entire military of the nation, and he has Jerusalem, which is the stronghold of the nation. He has all of the strength and ability in the world to solve this problem, and yet he doesn't dare set one foot forward in doing so until he first consults the Lord and says, God, what do you want me to do, and is this what you want me to do? And that's an incredible discipline. That's a very difficult thing, but we see that David did it. He's not an amateur. He's not incompetent. He's not ill-equipped. He's equipped, anointed, and sent, and yet he doesn't lean upon any of that. And yet he even knows that he's in the position where he's called to fight the Lord's battles. But he still won't move without first putting God first. Now, the result of doing that, when you say, all right, I got a problem, and I even maybe have the, the resources and the ability to solve it, but I'm going to stop, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God if he wants me to solve this problem, first of all, and then I'm going to consult him as to how to, to go about doing it. But when you do that, and God brings confirmation to your heart, or he reveals his will in some way and lets you know that, yes, go solve this problem, there is a confidence that you move in once you have that stamp of approval from God that almost makes you unbeatable. When you know that you have God sending you to solve a particular issue, for David, it's these Philistines, how do you lose? I mean, you almost go in without armor because you're like, God just, God said that he's going to take them down. Like I have his word. I have confirmation from him. I sought him. On the other side, you go into it presumptuously, even though you know like, all right, I kind of know what to do, but you haven't really prayed, you haven't really asked. There's always that little check engine light somewhere in your mind saying, like, is God really going to help me with this? Like, is he really in this? 
is this discipline? Is this because I took some extra wives? And you start, you start thinking about, and, and all of everything you've done wrong for the last seven years is coming up in your mind. Like, oh my goodness. I, uh, yeah. you know, and, you, and all of a sudden, half your strength is still wrestling with, am I called to be fighting this battle right now? But not when you put God first. And so David moves in this confidence, and watch what happens. It says that David came, verse 20, to, Beth, to Baal Perazim, and David smote them there and said, the Lord has broken forth upon mine enemies before me as the breach of waters. The idea is that, like, you know, you see water kind of like um, building up behind a dam, and you see the dam beginning to give way. And then once it, it is penetrated, the water begins to flow, you know you're not stopping it. And David is saying, this is just the beginning and I know now God is going to keep going, that this victory is going to be ongoing in this. And so therefore he called the name of that place Baal Perazim. And there they left their images, the Philistines did, their false gods, their idols. And David and his men burned them. And the Philistines came up yet again. And they spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And so they come the second time now. Now, if you're David, what do you do? You say, oh. Well, I had God's word. God gave them into my hand. We experienced a great victory. We even got a word from the Lord that that was just the beginning. It was the, like, the, like the, the breaking forth of waters, and now it's going to just flow all out. We don't need to pray this time. We can just go. Well, watch this. It says, verse 23, that when David inquired of the Lord, he said... You shall not go up. Oh, wait a minute. You mean if David had gone presumptuously thinking, well, I'm just the guy for this. I know what to do. Okay, he told me to take the job last time, so he must want me to take the job this time. You know, I'm just going to do it. It would not have been so pretty for David. God said, no, don't go this time. This is not what you're supposed to do. But watch this. Instead, and there's always an instead with God when he says no. Just listen a little bit longer. He said, you shall not go up, but fetch a compass behind them. In other words, sneak around the outside and get behind where they're all gathered in the valley of Rephaim and come upon them from over against the mulberry trees, from behind that big group of trees that you see over there in the distance. They'll never know that you're hiding in there. And let it be then that when you hear the sound of a going, that is when you hear the wind push through the tops of those trees, the top of the mulberry trees, that then you will bestir yourself for then shall the Lord go out before you to smite the host of the Philistines. Now this is amazing. I just think that not only did God tell him no and then give him the ulterior plan of coming around the backside, but then God said, I'm going to be so specific in my leading of you through this that you're going to hear the sound of a going. That's going to be your cue. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, did David get like a text message from God? You know, because this is very, very specific what God tells him to do right now. And I, I can't stand here before you and say that I've ever heard God speak to me so specifically as to give me that kind of direction in a situation. You're going to go around here, and then this is going to happen, and at 543, your phone's going to ring, and when you hear the ring of the phone, answer it and say, listen, Lord, you're sure, you know, or whatever. It, it, that just has never happened to me. But what I think is going on here, because it, it is nothing with God to convey a message. 
God can get whatever message he wants to to any one of us in any number of ways. He is not without power to do that. But I believe certainly that because David is resolved and in a place where he is putting God first and he's not going to move without the direction of God, as he continually seeks God, God becomes more specific in the direction that he gives to David. And I just believe that's his way, that the more we lean upon him, the more he will reveal to us because he wants to lead us. Conversely, I believe that the more independent we are and we just move on our own, the more God just says, well, they don't need me. And so I'll just hang out right here where I am and watch, you know, and hopefully we come to the place where we learn and we begin to inquire of him. David is putting God before his own wisdom. He's putting God before his own training and before his own ability. And that's a powerful thing to see what's going on in David's life right now. Now, one of the advantages, watch what happens, and then, uh, then we'll close out the segment before we move on. It says that, uh, verse 25, that David did so as the Lord had commanded him, and he smote the Philistines from Geba all the way until you come to Gezar. And so God fulfills the word that he gave to David. David takes down his enemies, and the Philistines are beaten back for a while. One of the advantages that, that David um, has in this position that he's taken in his heart that he's going to put God first is that he has set himself in a place where he's not being ruled by his position, but he's being ruled by the God who put him in the position. And that's a very big difference because the position of king is a very demanding position. I mean, you just think about it for a minute, all the responsibility that rests on your shoulders when you're the king. And it's all on you. I mean, you're looking after the military. You're looking after the economy. You're looking after the justice system, making sure that everybody's kind of doing what they're supposed to do and that things are, are, are being handled the right way. It's on you to make sure that there's order in society. You have to know what's going on. Every single sector, it's on you. And not only that, but because you can't please everybody, all of the blame and all of the murmuring and complaining of people because it's not exactly how they want it, that rests on you because that's your position. It kind of sounds like being a mom, doesn't it? You know, or a dad or a boss or even an employee because no matter what position you're in, there's always more placed upon you than what you can humanly handle on your own. That's just the fact of the matter. That's what it is all the time. And every one of us have a choice. We can either be ruled by that position or we can be ruled by the God who's put us in that position. And if we're ruled by the position, then we're going to react to every single demand that comes upon us and we're going to burn out and fry to a crisp. Because you cannot possibly take care of everything that has to be taken care of. And David realizes that. He says, no, I'm not going to rush, even though you want me to rush. I'm going to pray and I'm going to wait for God to direct me and lead me. And that's going to be the tenure, the manner of my kingdom. I'm going to put God first in the things that I do and I'm going to do what he asks me to do. That's going to be uh, what I do. Okay, here's, here's one of the, the challenges of any position. doesn't matter what it is. Is that the important things are never really all that pressing and the pressing things usually aren't really all that important. The pressing things are the demands. 
you know, that, that come upon you. You know, the, 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 the need that needs to be met right now. The person that wants to talk to you right now. The thing that needs to be done today, right now. That's the pressing thing. And usually it's not really that important in the grand scheme of things. The important things, that's seeking God. Taking time to discern what is his will. What does he want me to do in this situation? Where do I go from here? God, what, what is my state before you? I'm your son before I'm your servant. What, how's that relationship going on? That's the important thing. And it's never pressing. That's our choice. We carve out that time. God never like, get with me now. It doesn't, he doesn't, he gently doesn't do that. When we come to him, he's like, here I am. But it's not pressing. And that's a challenge that we have to overcome. And so I ask you, what is it that rules you? What rules you? I am amazed at how ruled I am by my phone. I mean, every single time the screen lights up, I stop whatever I, I just find myself doing this. Like, what is it? Is it a text message? Is it an email? Is it a missed call, a voicemail? What is it? And, I, and it's almost like I have to look. My phone's like, look at me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Where are you? You know, and, and I'm, I, I hate myself for, for that, you know, just being so ruled by something so stupid, you know, as a phone, you know, and it's amazing. My calendar rules me so often. You know, I, I, is how many times do I have to look at it and check it and what am I doing? Can I do this? Will my calendar allow me to do it? I, oh, calendar, please, will you let me make time for something? I'm ruled by it so often. The people in my life, you know, Dad, my brakes are squeaking. You know, I'm like, I'm preparing a Bible study. I'm like, I can't, the world is falling down until I fix the brakes. And, and I can be ruled by the demands, you know, the things, the people and the things that they have in my life. But God says, no, I'm to be the Lord. The Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. And every one of us is always going to have more to do than what we can humanly handle. And if we become a servant to everything that asks of us, then we will quickly burn out and waste our time and we will miss the important things. But David gives us the example. He puts God first and he does things in a very accurate and balanced way and God comes through and everything gets taken care of. The Philistines are decimated even though it's not done the way everybody else wants. Now, David actually has an advantage over you and I in this. And that is that David had to answer to no other human power. And, and that is an advantage, okay? Because I don't have that. I have to answer to human people, bosses, spouses. You know, there are people that I have to answer to. And so sometimes I don't have the luxury of saying, well, I'm not going to fulfill that demand right now because I'm following God, you know? How does that go over? I just try that tomorrow. You know, you go to work and your boss says, hey, I want this done by Monday. And he's like, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> and just, just see how that goes over. It's probably not going to go over that good. And so now you have complication. Right, because how do I put God first and I'm going to do what he asks of me, right? But at the same time, I have a spouse that I have to mutually submit to, and, and, and I can't just say, oh, no, God said I don't have to listen to you in this. So how do I do that, you know? And, and, and that, that's where, like, really, you have to go into the hold and say, Lord, I need help in this because I can't say no to that and yes to this, and I need your help to order these things out and give me the ability to go through it. And you know what happens when you do that? 
is that God gives you this power and this grace that somehow everything gets done and ultimately everyone is pleased. Maybe not in every moment, but he has a way of making the Red Sea part and things kind of happen, all right? Here is the hiccup for those of us that are under the authority of another human being, is that we can begin to think that because I am under the authority of a human being, therefore, I cannot or I don't have to listen to God because to listen to them is to obey God. And so I'm just going to do what they say, and that will be my devotion to God. And now you're in another jam. Because God doesn't want that. He doesn't want a mediator of someone between you and him. He wants you to be under him. And so these are the complications of the things that we need to seek God for. And again, I remind you that the more David leaned on God, the more specific God was as to how to get things done. And I don't believe that was a promise or an event that was individual to David. It is something that God will do for any one of us as we give our lives to him and trust in him, okay? The message of this moment in David's life is one. It is put God first. If you want to be established and stay in a place of stability, put God first. David is two for two right now. Philistine battle number one, check check it off, A+. Plus. Philistine battle number two, even better, A++. David is on God's dean list in terms of seeking him first. As we cross into chapter six, maybe not so much. He's going to be two for three, (laughs) because even the best don't get it right every single time. Chapter six is an amazing chapter, all right, because chapter six is, is, is like the epitome of good intentions gone really bad. David's heart and David's intentions in what he does in chapter 6 are absolutely perfect. They're flawless. There is nothing wrong with David's motive or what he wants to do. It's obvious what he should do. But David fails in this one because he doesn't ask God how to go about this perfectly intended thing that he wants to do. And here's what David wants to do right now, is that David wants to make God the center of the nation. Now, does that sound like a bad thing? No, absolutely not. Does that sound like something that you need to pray about? No, I would actually say no. <laughs> you don't, like, okay, does, does, should you make God the center of your family? Well, let me ask it. You know, no, you, you don't pray about that. Like, that's, he said it. He said, make me the center. I'm God. I'm first. I'm to be first. That's a command. Well, Lord, should I obey your command? Like, no, you don't have to pray about that. And so this isn't even something that David has to pray about, but he does it wrong. And he pays the price for it because he doesn't do it the right way. So it isn't about praying if he should do it. It's about praying how he should do it, and he doesn't do it. And so chapter 6 is the chapter in the Bible about doing a right thing in a wrong way. And what we learn from it is that the ends don't justify the means in the things that we do for God. Now, what is it that David wants to do? David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant from where it is in Kirjath-Jerim in the house of this guy, Abinadab, and he wants to bring it into Jerusalem. 
That's what he wants to do. And so let's just read a couple of verses to catch what's going on, and then we'll talk about it. It says, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. So he gathers all of the elite soldiers, the best of the best. And it says that David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwells between the cherubims. Okay, now I know that there's probably someone here right now that's saying, what in the world is the ark? And why is David interested in bringing a big boat all the way to Jerusalem? All right? It's not that ark. It's not Noah's ark. It's not a boat. The ark of the covenant that David is seeking to bring was really a relic. It was an instrument that God told Moses to build And it was the most holy and the most revered element or object in all of the Old Testament worship. In the tabernacle, in the holiest place, in the center of that place, God said, I want you to build essentially a box. That's what it is. And it's going to contain the Ten Commandments. It's going to have a couple of other things in it. It's going to be closed by a lid made of solid gold that we will call the mercy seat. It represents the throne of God who is merciful. And over it will be golden cherubim, which represent what is going on in heaven, the angels in the presence of God that overshadow the throne where God is. So the Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of God. And so the statement that David is making spiritually and practically is that he wants God to be the high king, high lord, and highest authority and highest influence in the nation over which he is king. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, that is noble, that is righteous, that is a very good desire. That's what David is doing and God wants him to do, okay? Now, David's problem is he does it the wrong way. He never consults with God about what is the right way to do it. Right? Now, currently, just in case some of you maybe are wondering, you say, well, why isn't the Ark of the Covenant already in Jerusalem? Where is it? Way back in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 7, in verses 1 through 3, we find out why the Ark isn't in Jerusalem. It says that there, it says that the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and they fetched up the Ark of the Lord and they brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the Ark of the Lord. It had been captured by the Philistines. It had been released by the Philistines. And now it is taken to the house of this man, Abinadab, for keeping. And it came to pass that while the Ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, that the time was long, for it was 20 years, And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spoke unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel said, listen, when you get rid of the idols and give your hearts completely to God, then he will deliver you from the Philistines and set things right. Now, that's exactly what David just did. He slew the Philistines and he burned their idols. And now he says, it's time to bring the ark home. We're going to bring the presence of God home. That's what he's going to do. Now, what is the proper way to move the ark of the covenant from Kirjath-Jerim 
to Jerusalem where it is to be centered, the center place that's there. David never asks that question. He never consults with the priests. He never looks to the word. He just thinks to himself, in fairness to him, listen, the ark's been all over. It was here, then it was there. It was carried by cows back to Israel. Now it's been in the house of this guy for so long. It doesn't really matter how we move it. It only matters that we move it. And so David doesn't think to ask, okay? His intentions are excellent. All right, now watch what happens. It says this. It says that they set the ark of God upon a new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. So they kind of go alongside of it. They're accompanying it. They're just around it. They're like watching it. They're surrounding it. And it says that Ahio went before the ark. So if you can picture the scene, you see these guys, this entourage. You see this family, and they're all kind of walking around the ark. And Ahio, one of the brothers, he's walking in front of it. And the other guy is aside it, behind it. There's people all around it. And it says that David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, harps, psalteries, timbrels, cornets, cymbals. But then, verse 6, it says, when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah, that's one of the brothers, the sons of this Abimelech, or Abinadab, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. So God's riding on a cart made by man, and all of a sudden God stumbles because God apparently doesn't know how to handle the terrain and the turbulence that can come with being on earth. And so he is then helped by this well-intended man, Uzzah, who says, oh God, let me help you. I'm just going to stabilize you because you need, don't want to fall. And it says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Does God need help? Ever. Does God want help? Ever. God doesn't need help. Uzzah dies for his error. David is offended by the event. Watch. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah and he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah or the breach upon Uzzah unto this day. And it says that David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household and all things. So David is somewhat offended by this thing that God has done now, this breach that's upon Uzzah. 
And it tells us that he was displeased, so he got a little bit upset with God, okay, over, over God's... I mean, here David's trying to do this amazing thing. He brings together the elite soldiers. He, the whole nation is to be witness to this whole thing. It's super good intentions, and God kind of stops the music and crashes the party a little bit, brings a huge downer to it. And so David is displeased. Then it says that David was afraid. That's a good thing. It's never bad to be afraid of God, but David's like, whoa, whoa, okay. I didn't, I didn't orchestrate this. What are you all doing here? You know, it's like, it's like dad comes home and there's a party going on and dad didn't know there was going to be a party, you know, and the person who put it on be like, I don't know where these people came from. They just showed up. And that's kind of David. He's afraid of God, but he's also a little bit offended because of all of this thing. Okay, what was the proper way wherein the ark was to be carried or, or, or born or moved around? Right? The answer is it was to be carried by men, never carted by instruments. That was the ordained way of God. Exodus chapter 25, verse 13. It says this, God to Moses. He said, you shall make staves or staffs of shittim wood or acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the staffs into the rings by the sides of the ark that the ark may be borne with them or carried with them. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. In other words, it is to be carried by these staves that go through the rings and it is not to be touched. You will not touch my glory. You will not help me, God is saying. You will recognize that I am altogether separate from what you are, and I am sanctified, and I'm to be sanctified. Now, God made humans, right, with the ability to deal with the terrain of different things. I have been a pallbearer before. I carry the casket. You know, you carry it. You, don't, you can't stumble when you carry it because there's six people, and you can watch the ground when you're going, and you're protected from that kind of a thing. God says, my glory is going to be carried by men, not by instruments. And so it's to be carried, first of all. Not only that, okay, it's to be carried by a particular set of persons. It was the unique privilege and duty of the priests and Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant. That's who was to do it. It wasn't anybody. It wasn't eeny, meeny, miny, mo, or... Is it okay, Abinadab, your kids, bring them. You know, no, it was by God, it was to be the priests and the Levites that were sanctified by God to do that. We read that in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 9 and 25. You can look them up later. It's not critical, just, you know, that's what it was. And, and, then, and then we also recognize, third thing, not just that it was to be carried, and not just that it was to be carried by the priests, but listen, the ark was always to go first. When Joshua was first bringing the people across the Jordan River and into the promised land, he was commanded specifically by God that the priests that bear the ark are to lift the ark and they are to go a good portion of a mile in front of everybody else so that everyone can watch very clearly the path that they are to follow and take. They will make no mistake of it. And the, the ark was to go way ahead and way before. Then the people would follow. God, in the person of the ark, or the, the, the presence of the ark, moved through the Jordan River first, and the people followed. God went first. 
when they came into the land and they were faced with the walls of Jericho, God again specifically said to Joshua, he said that you will go around the city once every day for seven days. The ark will go first. The priests that bear it, they will go first. Then the people will follow and encompass the city once a day for seven days and then seven times the final day. The ark was always to go first. So it was to be carried by priests, and it was to go first. God wanted it known that his presence was altogether holy, altogether separate, and that it was to be perfectly sanctified, not defiled nor distracted by the presence of any human. Now we see that David is doing something in the eyes of the entire nation that is diluting the holiness and the majesty of God. There is some form of equality between God and men, some kind of celebratory ceremonial haze that is kind of fogging the vision that God wants his people to have of how high, holy, and separate he is in his place at the center of the nation. And Uzzah is smitten because he thinks he can help God, but the real issue here is that God isn't first. That's why God interrupted this thing. That's why David knows that there's a problem here. It's because God, Ahio, was first. Instruments were first. People were just lackadaisically walking around like, Jesus is my homeboy type of mentality. And God says, no, he's not. He's the friend of sinners, but he's God Almighty. And he's to be feared. He's to be venerated. He's to be held highly. And if the witness in the eyes of the nation is going to tarnish, be tarnished in any way to make people think less than that, God says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to stop it, lest that idea run rampant through my nation that I am just a man. I am not. And he is God. And David learned that lesson. Listen, here is, here is the message, ultimately, of, of this. You know what it is? Put God First, are you starting to see a common theme here? <laughs> Put God first. God does not need our help. He does not work in tandem with us. We work in tandem with him. Everyone in the Bible who ever tried to help God came to a dismal failure. Abraham tried to help God, made a huge mistake. Call him Ishmael. He's still a mistake, still a problem in the world even today. Joseph kind of tried to help God when he was in prison, and, and, and he said, hey, tell, please tell the king about me. God needs help getting me out of here. Didn't work. Two more years. Pfft. Rebecca tried to help God. Oh, Esau is not to be the one. Jacob, it's you. Let's do this thing. Let's cook a lamb. We'll make it for your father. Put the skin on. Quick, go in there, lie to him, tell him this whole thing. Didn't work. Doesn't work out so well. God does not need nor want our and part of what he brings us through day by day and season by season as we grow in him is to bring us to that place where we, like David, will say, oh, I perceive that God has established me in this position, place, or blessing, not for me, but for him. It's not about me. And I will learn in this that I will put him first in all things. Not in just what I do, 
But even in how I do what I do, I must put God first. And I must carefully seek out what his will is for the things that are going on in this life. Listen, as, as time passes, things just get more complex, don't they? I mean, life just gets more complex as, as things go on. You know, part of the reason I don't really do prophecy updates anymore is because things have gotten so complex and so cloudy and so confusing that one week after making any prophetic forecast statement, I feel like an idiot because of how, how nothing, the most significant thing I thought turned out to be. It's just complex. It's so cloudy. It's so hard to see through and so hard to discern. And that's just what happens with time. Everything in life is like that. Things get more complicated. As you get older, right, do things get simpler? No, absolutely not. You know, when I first got married, I thought, why do people have marriage problems? Like, this is easy. You know, like, just grow up. You know, put your big boy pants on and just love your wife. You know, like, what's the problem? <laughs> you know? But then, like, time goes by and things get complicated, Things sometimes can't be said. Things can't be understood. There's breaches. There's things. And you go, oh, this isn't as easy as I thought. Kids. We have little kids and we go, oh, they're up all night. And the, the older people look at us and they go, you're up all night. I'm dealing with venereal disease and you're up all night. You know, things get more complicated as time goes by. That's just what happens, and it comes to the point where it's just confusing. You can't understand it anymore. You can't see it very clearly. Careers become more complicated. Planning for the future gets more complicated. Our positioning in life, what I should I be doing, where should I be living, that's more complicated. Christianity becomes more complicated. That's something I never thought that I would say. It's the most simple message in the world. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, came to the world, died for sinners, extends the free gift of grace to those that would put faith in him, and their names are written in the, in the book of life, and they'll live forever, and he's given us his word to teach us how to live. How much simpler can it be? And I used to read the Apostle Paul where he'd say, if a man thinks he knows something, he knows nothing. And Paul would say of himself, I know nothing. And I'm like, Paul, just come and sit at my feet for a minute. This is so simple. This is so easy, you know. And now I get to the point where I just, sometimes I just want to throw, just go, I don't get it. I, I know nothing, because things just get more complicated the more you understand, the more you learn. Our mental acuity just gets more complicated. We are complicated, psychological beings, and we can get ourselves twisted in some serious knots. <laughs> Am I the only one? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but this is, this is the, the world that we're living in, and it's so incredibly complex, isn't it? Right? Okay. And the worship team, you guys can start coming. I, I didn't get to pray with you beforehand and tell you when to come up, you know, so you guys can, can come up, you know, we're closing. But I remember, I remember taking, uh, I, I think it was course three mathematics in high school. And I remember there was this, this short segment uh, of time where we did logic. It was a very short unit. And, and I, I always liked math because it doesn't change. Like science always changing. You know, sociology is always changing. Things always change. But math doesn't change. Math is math. And so I enjoyed it. And I remember this little thing. It was called logic, this unit. And basically what it was doing is it was putting mathematical definitions on common sense. It was taking just common sense things, turning it into truthful statements, and drawing conclusions from it. All right? So, uh, okay, so... Um, 
combining true facts to draw accurate conclusions. Now, let me do that for you. I'm going to give you a logic equation. Here it is. Very logical. It's common sense. The more complicated things are, the more specific we need God to be. Right? Isn't that a true statement? Because if things are complicated and we don't know how to navigate them, then we need God to give us specific directions and leadings in how we do it. So the more complicated things are, the more specific we need God to be. That's fact number one. Fact number two, the more we consult God, the more specific he gets. We saw that in David, right? As David sought the Lord, God was more specific with him as David leaned on him more and more. Okay, so the more we consult God, the more specific he gets. So here's the conclusion. This is what common sense logic preaches to you and I tonight. That as things become more complex, whether it's in the world, whether it's in my mind, whether it's in my marriage and family, my career, my life, my Christian experience, as things become more complex, we need to seek God more. Okay, that's just plain logic. It means we need to get better at putting God first. That's what we need as we move through life, not less. Now, here's the challenge with that, is that with age comes experience and resources. And as we get stronger and as we have resources and options, the temptation is to seek God less because we can make choices and decisions. And so there's a challenge in that that we have to face. And so I ask you tonight, simple question. What is the area or what are the areas in your life that you need to put God first? That you've been doing it by yourself. You've been the go-to person, the problem solver. You've been serving the demands that have been being placed upon you. And somewhere off in the distance, God has become kind of surrounded in this sea of people and Ohio's out there in the front and Uzzah's driving the cart and someone's trying to say, well, God is in here somewhere, but we don't really know where he is. And are you there in that mix somewhere where you have forgotten that he's God and that he has called you by name and he purchased you with the blood of his son and he calls you his child, his friend, and he calls himself your shepherd. And he says, I want to lead you. I want to speak to you. I want to help you. I want to establish, strengthen, and settle you. And give you a perception in your heart, deepest place, that it's for my sake. That it's not about you. It's about me. And you get to be a part of it. And if you'll put me first... If you'll seek me, you're going to watch all of these things work themselves out. And you'll be standing in a place looking behind you saying, how did all that happen? God says, because I'm God and I know how to do it. The Bible says this. It says, they that seek me early will find me. That's a promise from God. And I love sharing that with my kids when we get into the word, and we, when we start the Bible over. And I always tell them, you know, that doesn't just mean early in the day. It does mean that. If you seek God early in the day, you're going to find him early in the day. But do you know that it also means early in life? I mean, if early in life you make it your purpose that I'm going to put God first, I'm going to seek God first, you're going to find God. And you're going to see it, that grow throughout your life as you move with him. It doesn't just apply to that, but do you know what applies to every 
situation and circumstance that you find yourself in at any given time in your life, a circumstance, a situation comes, what do you do? Seek him early, okay? Don't wait until it's like, oh, I can't control this now. No, seek him early. The Philistines are gathered. There's money missing. Seek him early and you will find him. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus personally, and you've never come to that place where you have acknowledged him as your shepherd, it might be time to do that. Father, we just want to thank you tonight for, for your word. We want to thank you, Lord, for uh, these amazing truths, these amazing promises embedded in the experiences of real people. And Lord, we lay our lives under the lens of this truth. And we want to ask you tonight that you, again, where we have put you behind, where we have made you to be less than what you are, we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us. We ask that you'd help us. And we pray, Lord, that you would again be first in all things in our life. Please forgive us, Lord, for making you less than that. And I do pray tonight, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you personally, by the person of your Holy Spirit, you would knock on their heart even right now. And you would cause them, Lord, in this late hour, to call upon you, to put their full faith and trust in you, to believe on you, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, to make you the Lord of their life. And so I pray, Lord, that every person here would feel that welcome invitation. Show yourself to be God in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for your presence here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.